countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to Episode 5 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf, and this time we have a real treat for you. It's from one of the classics of all time, Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. In 1940, CBS had a series called Forecast, where they offered radio series ideas to the audience, and if they did well, they would give them a regular time slot. In July of 1940, CBS offered a mystery series called Suspense on Forecast, a proposed series that Alfred Hitchcock was slated to direct. He actually came up with the program's title. But film commitments kept Hitchcock from being able to commit to the radio series. When CBS added suspense to their schedule in 1942, Charles Vanda was tapped as the director. Then William Spear took over after a few weeks and really developed it into the classic mystery series we know and love. Each week, the program featured a guest star in the leading role. Many of Hollywood's finest were featured. Olivia de Havilland, Agnes Moorhead, Jimmy Stewart, Marsha Hunt. She's still with us, Carl, at age 104. That's amazing. I know. What's also amazing is that Suspense offered nearly 1,000 broadcasts during its 20 years on the air. Though William Spear was the director for several of those years in the 1940s, there were others who followed him. Right, Carl. Anthony Ellis, Anton M. Leader, and Elliot Lewis, to name a few. The director of this episode is William N. Robeson, who also serves as host and gives us a brief intro into the play. Flesh Peddler from August 4th, 1957. The guest star's name is revealed right at the beginning, so there's no use in keeping everyone in suspense. Right, you are. It's DeForest Kelly in one of his rare radio appearances. We all know him as Dr. Leonard McCoy of Star Trek, but about a decade before Star Trek premiered on television, he was cast in suspense. It is interesting, Lisa, that Kelly had not done much radio work. This included one role in Stars on Parade, a 1950 transcribed series for Army and Air Force recruiting. And before that, you have to go way back to the early 1940s when he was living in Long Beach, California, and performing in plays with the Community Playhouse. He was a very good actor, having held a lead in Our Town. He was also cast in dramas on the local Long Beach stations KFOX and KGER. We're searching for audio of those, Carl. And Suspense's director, William N. Robeson, was always searching for new talent. He knew of Kelly's roles at that time in film and television. Earlier in 1957, he had character parts in several TV series, including Navy Log, Schlitz Playhouse, and the O. Henry Playhouse. And still earlier in the 1950s, he had been on TV's Gunsmoke and The Millionaire. Throughout his career, DeForest Kelly was in numerous Western pictures, including Gunfight at the OK Corral and Warlock. In this radio episode, he's a talent agent 
So now, without further delay, here's Flesh Peddler on Suspense from August 4th, 1957. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. One of the greatest pleasures we find in this business of keeping you in suspense is the discovery of new talent and of unusual story twists. In what you're about to hear, we think we have combined both. The twist... You'll never guess it, no matter how familiar you are with that mystical literary device, the ventriloquist dummy. And the new talent? Two young men, Bob Jorn, whose first radio play this is, and DeForest Kelly, a bright new luminary in the Hollywood firmament who is presently being seen as Morgan Earp in Gunfight at O.K. Corral. Put them all together, and you have a strange half hour ahead. Listen. Listen, then, as DeForest Kelly stars in Flesh Peddler which begins in exactly one minute. Smoke Kent, Smoke Kent, Smoke Kent with the Micronite filter. It is the mild, mild cigarette. It's got the freshest, cleanest taste yet. It is the mild Kent cigarette. Smoke Kent with the Micronite filter. Forrest Kelly in Flesh Peddler, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I'm an agent, a booking agent. Flesh peddlers, we are sometimes unkindly called. But I don't peddle flesh. I sell talent, singers, musicians, nightclub acts. And I'm pretty good at it. I've got an instinct for talent. When I find a new act that's really got it, I go after it until it's mine. Only the ventriloquist team of Wilson and Oliver, I wish I'd never heard of them. Then I could sleep better nights. My wife and I were vacationing in the Catskills last summer, and the night before we were due back in New York, a carnival pulled into town. I don't want to sound like a snob. But to me, the carnival is the lowest form of show business. I hate them. But my wife, Gloria, loves them. Since I love Gloria, we went to the carnival. Pete, isn't it exciting? It's just cheap noise. Oh, I wish it had come to town sooner. I wish it hadn't come till tomorrow. Oh, come on, Pete. You might even find some new talent. Here? Why not? Freaks are for sideshows, honey, not class spots. You never can tell. A bearded lady might go great at the coca. Hey, hey, I can hey, tell. Folks, right here for the wonder of the midway. Hey, the one and only Alexander Wilson and his lovable little dummy pal, Oliver. Hey, you've seen Ben Philippus before, you say. Uh-huh. 
Hey, but you've never seen anything to equal Wilson, the remarkable Wilson and Oliver. Hey, don't pass his by, friends. He did go in. Oh, but it's Philoquist, a dime a dozen. Come on, I want to see him. Honey, you've seen a hundred just like him. Well, maybe he's one in a hundred. All right, all right. We pushed through into the small tent and took our places on the hard, uncomfortable benches. Wilson was already seated on the platform, a typical childishly dressed dummy on his lap. He was a man in his fifties, I'd say, with the saddest face I've seen in 15 years of show business. When the people were in, he suddenly sprang the dummy to life. Shut the doors, shut the doors. All president accounted for, Mr. Wilson. You're sure, Oliver? Sure. Well, then... Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Oh, now, come, Oliver. You can do better than that. I can? Yes. Well, you ought to know. (laughs) (laughs) The routine was awful. Dull, time-worn. But for some reason, this Wilson fascinated me. He had a talent all right. His handling of the dummy was amazingly accurate. As the act went on, I began to think that Wilson was even better than the Barker said he was. And he was going over with the house. Wilson had Oliver sing while he himself smoked a cigarette. After a few more gag routines and a couple of neat tricks, the performance was over, and I knew I had to sign the act. I parked Glory on the merry-go-round and then went looking for Wilson. I walked back of the midway through the maze of painted trailers that were home to Carney people. Suddenly the door to one of them flew open and a woman stepped out, a neatly trimmed beard covering her chin. What do you want? I'm looking for Alexander Wilson. Wilson? Why? I'm a talent agent from New York. I'd like to talk to him. Agent? Yes, Peter Harris, and you're... Bernice, it's on the posters. Oh, yes, of course, Bernice. What do you want with Alexander Wilson? I told Uh, you I... Who is it, Bernice? Talent agent. Never mind, go back in. Uh, uh, agent? I'm looking for Mr. Wilson. Oh, uh, well, I'm Arthur. Uh, You caught my knife act. You you know, I could pin a fly to a penny of four feet. Quiet. Don't mind him, flesh peddler. Go away. Go home. Agents are no good for us. Leave Wilson alone. And, and you know, uh, like I could put out a candle flame with a penknife at 30 feet, Agent Man. Arthur, and go back in. Uh, maybe he could sell my act. Go in. All right. Uh, Wilson's in trailer 17, Agent Man. Hey, if you ever need a... a Shut up, Arthur. To... Shut up. Get in there. Forget what he said. Arthur is... Well, he isn't quite bright. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's so wrong about seeing Wilson? There are plenty of acts like his. You don't need him. Well, you've got my curiosity going now, Bernice. I hadn't intended that. But forget your curiosity. And go home. Now. Why? Believe me, flesh peddler, you will thank me for this advice someday. Which is trailer 17? I couldn't see why Bernice was so huffy. It was none of her business anyway. I roamed through the trailers with my cigarette lighter held high, looking for number 17. Finally, I found it. A small aluminum antique set apart from the rest, with a pre-war Chevy attached to it. The trailer was completely dark. Mr. Wilson. What is it? I'm Peter Harris. I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? Well, I'm an agent, Mr. Wilson. I'd like to see you. Just a minute. Yes? I just caught your act, Mr. Wilson. 
Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. I'd like to do business with you. Do business? Here's my card. My office places acts on all four networks and all the principal nightclubs. I'm afraid it's out of the question. I, I never play nightclubs. But... Because I, I never play nightclubs, Mr. Harris. Well, could I come in for a moment, explain my setup? Maybe when you... No, forgive me for appearing short, but I, I'm not interested in any offer you have to make. To begin with, I can get you 200 a week. No, excuse me. 250? No, I'm very tired, if you'll pardon me. Okay, Mr. Wilson, but will you tell me why you want to stay with a two-bit freak show when you could make a small fortune working with me? No. No, I'm afraid I can't tell you. Good night. I suppose I should have forgotten all about it, but I'm not used to the brush off. Like I say, when I see an act I want, I go after it until I get it. And then there was something about Wilson's reluctance that wasn't somehow on the level. As I walked back toward the bright lights and the noise of the midway, a figure stepped from behind one of the darkened trailers. So you saw him? Oh, Bernice. Yes, I saw him. And are you satisfied? Not at all. Just more curious. Exactly. Only fools push their noses into other people's business, flesh peddler. Um, Harris is the name. And only fools get themselves and other people into trouble. Trouble? All I wanted was to offer him a nice fat job. Two fifty a week, and he slammed the door in my face. Alexander Wilson cannot leave this carnival. Why? You don't know, Mr. Harris, and you're not going to know. Know what? Stop asking foolish questions. Your curiosity can do a great deal of harm. Bernice, where does the carnival go from here? Really, Mr. Harris, you don't expect me to... Look, I can ask any one of the barkers or set-up men. Ask them, then. All right, I will. But remember, Flesh Peddler, if you follow us to Poughkeepsie, oh, I'll... Poughkeepsie? Very well, now you know. But if you follow us and try to see Wilson again, you are a fool. In just a moment, we continue with... Suspense. Who says you can't have your cake and eat it? With our vast network facilities at your disposal, you can hop in the car and get away from it all and still not miss out on any of the exciting entertainment you've been enjoying regularly at home. The latest news, our daytime dramas, the music and comedy shows that fill each evening with joy are all available to you whether you're perched at the top of the highest mountain or are dangling a toe in the edge of the sea. The six dramatic shows that follow each other on CBS Radio every Sunday bring Broadway and Hollywood to you whether you're drifting downstream on a barge or flying high in a sports plane built for two. And the biggest variety shows can be enjoyed to the hilt on a pocket-sized transistor as well as the huge console radio in a luxurious country hotel. Summer is a time for fun outdoors. Summer is a time for travel. With CBS Radio at your side, summer is a time for top-flight entertainment. No matter where you happen to be, no matter what else you happen to be doing. You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive 
receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now, back to Radio Rarities. And now... We continue with the second act of Flesh Peddler, starring Mr. DeForest Kelly. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Gloria and I drove back to Manhattan the next morning. And two days later, I hopped a Poughkeepsie local out of Grand Central. The more I thought about Wilson, the more of a challenge he became. I wanted him for my list, but more than that, I wanted to find out what was behind Bernice's strange attitude. Now I wish I'd forgotten about the whole thing. In Poughkeepsie, I checked into a hotel, took a cab to the carnival grounds at the edge of town. It was late afternoon as I pulled up in front of the gaudy tents and booths, waiting for the evening crowds. I made my way through the cluttered midway, looking for Wilson's aluminum trailer and hoping I wouldn't run into Bernice. Uh, agent man. Uh, hey, hey, agent man. Uh, hello. Hello. Uh, remember me, uh, Arthur the knife thrower? I can pin a fly to a penny. Yes, I, I remember you. And you've uh, come for me? What's that? Uh, you, you come all this way to get me for your agency? Well, no, I'm afraid not. Oh. Uh, well, that's all right. I mean, you know, like I've been giving it a lot of thought, and uh, I don't think I could go with you anyway. <laughs> I see. So I, I couldn't leave Bernice in the carnival. Uh, my sister uh, says carny folk should stay with carny folk. Your sister? Bernice. Oh. Arthur, why is Bernice so, so close-mouthed about Mr. Wilson? She acts as though she's afraid of him. Uh, well, us carny folks uh, stick together, see? Like, we, we don't like other people sticking their noses into our business. Bernice said that? Yes. Arthur, where is Mr. Wilson's trailer? I don't know. Oh, come now, Arthur. Uh, Bernice says, you know... Uh, I know. Bernice says too much. Uh, I, I don't know anything, Agent Man. Well, I have to go practice my knife throwing now. I got to practice every day, you know, you know? Well, it was clear Bernice had given Arthur his instructions, and no thanks to him, I finally found Wilson's trailer set off from the rest. Mr. Wilson? Mr. Wilson! The door to the trailer was unlocked, and it swung open at my knock. Wilson obviously wasn't there, but I didn't think he'd mind if I went in and waited. The inside of the trailer was dim and musty. I left the door open to let in what little sunlight the day had left and sat in the lone chair in front of the makeup table. I was just about to reach for a cigarette when I had the feeling that I wasn't alone. I turned slowly in the chair, and the back of my neck began to crawl. There on a shabby army cot was Wilson's dummy, propped up against the wall. The steady, unchanging expression of its face with the staring eyes and painted smile ran back at me. It was weird and uncomfortable to be so close to this lifeless thing, unmoving, wooden, that seemed so real and alive on the platform in the tent. 
I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. I looked away, but I could still feel it there, grinning at me in the early evening dimness. When I could stand it no longer, I got up and walked out of the trailer and bumped right into Bernice. What did I tell you, flesh peddler? Bernice, I... What were you doing in there? Waiting for Wilson. What did I tell you? Now look, Bernice. I don't like you or anyone else telling me what I can or can't do. I want to see Wilson again. I'm waiting here. Come with me, please. I must talk to you privately in my trailer. Sit down. Well, what's on your mind, Bernice? I didn't really think you'd follow us. I told you I'm not easily discouraged. Mr. Harris, I must warn you again to leave now without seeing Wilson. I don't think you understand me. I'm used to getting what I go after. Mr. Harris. I intend to see Wilson to try to talk him into signing a contract. And you've said so far, all that you've said is go away. Can you give me a good reason for not seeing him? Okay, then why did you insist on dragging me in here? Mr. Harris, can you assure me your interest in Wilson does not go beyond signing him as a client? What do you mean? Your interest in Wilson wouldn't by chance be in his past, his private life, and not in his professional talent. I never heard of him until I caught his act three days ago. Mr. Harris, I'd hoped I wouldn't have to tell you this. I didn't realize you were so stubborn, but... Yes? Well... Alexander Wilson lost his mind many years ago. That doesn't disturb you. It might, if I believed you, Bernice. What? I don't think Wilson's nuts. Apparently something's bothering him. Something big, maybe, but it's not insanity. I suppose you know Wilson better than I do. I didn't say that. But a man in my business meets every kind of person there is. The cheats, the phonies, the right guys, the bums. So? So you develop an instinct about people. And my instinct tells me Wilson is not insane. You'll have to try something better to scare me off. Mr. Harris, Wilson thinks he's a murderer. You are trying to scare me, aren't you? If that's necessary to protect you and us, yes. You think he might murder me, too? I don't mean that. Actually, he never murdered anyone. Look, Bernice, you don't make sense. Don't you understand? No. I said Alexander Wilson thinks he is a murderer. He thinks he murdered a woman a long time ago. He's lived with this thought for years, nourished it, until he really believes it. It's driven him out of his mind. Bernice, do you expect me to believe a cockamamie story like that? It's the truth. So don't you see? The only place for him is here, in the carnival, with his own kind. We understand Well, hasn't anyone tried to help him to make him realize that... He is beyond that now. But with us, he's all right. Outsiders disturb him. You haven't scared me off, Bernice. You've got to stay away from him. Why? If anything you've told me is true, it's only half the truth. It's enough for you to know. From you, maybe. Perhaps Wilson will tell me the rest. I've warned you. I will not warn you again. Oh, Bernice. Oh, hello again, agent man. Hi, Arthur. How's your throwing arm? Well, uh... Come in, Arthur. Mr. Harris is just leaving. Yes. So long, Bernice. Goodbye, Mr. Harris. When the trailer door closed behind me, I guessed Bernice would start talking her fury out on Arthur. So I moved around to the small window in the back of the trailer to see if I could learn anything more. I don't care. I don't even want you to say hello to him. Nothing. 
Understand? Well, you know, uh, just saying hello uh, don't hurt, does it, Bernice? I don't want you to open your mouth in front of that man, even to yawn. I had to lie to him to get him away from here. And I don't want you saying anything to bring him back. Uh, uh, all right, Bernice. Just pray he goes back to his flesh peddling in New York on that first train. Just as I thought, Bernice had lied to me. I was determined to get to the bottom of this double talk about Wilson more than ever. This had become more important to me than signing him to the usual seven-year management contract. When I got back to Wilson's trailer, there was a light inside. Who's there? It's Peter Harris again. Who? Peter Harris. I spoke to you a few days ago and... What do you want? I want to talk to you, Mr. Wilson. Go away. But I've come all the way from New York. I must ask you to leave at once. Look, Mr. Wilson, I'm not a detective. All I wanted when I first met you was to book you into the big time. But now there's something more. I think you need help. You need help badly. No, you're mistaken. Can I come in and talk to you? Oh, good heavens, no. Well, how about having a drink with me before the show? You look like you could use one. Please, uh, leave me alone. Wilson. Wilson, don't you see what these people are doing to you? For some reason, you're a haunted man. And this carnival is the worst place in the world Leave for me now. Leave me, please. These people are all the help I need. Leave me alone. I'll be at the hotel overnight. If you change your mind, Wilson, call me. No, I was mad. If he wanted to rot there, go on with the carnival until it wasted away, it was no business of mine. I had a few drinks in my room at the hotel. Phone Gloria that I'd be home the next day. Went to bed. Yes? Mr. Harris? Wilson. Can you meet me right away? Right, right away? What time is it? Well, I don't know. It's... After midnight, it's 1, 1.30. Well, I... Please, please. I must talk to you. Can you meet me? Sure. Okay, where are you calling from? Uh, an all-night drugstore. Well, where is it? Wait. Wait, no. Not here. Meet me at my trailer. Okay. And please, hurry. It took me longer to wake the cab driver in front of the hotel than it did to get to the carnival grounds. I told the cab to wait and made my way through the darkened tents and trailers to number 17. Come in. What's the matter? Uh, Mr. Harris, I've changed my mind. I, I want to leave with you tonight. But tonight? Well, what's the... Mr. Harris, you're the first person outside of the carnival I've talked to in more than two years. You're the first person I've had the courage to approach. Go on. I trust you, Mr. Harris. I can't see why, but I know you'll believe me and help me. I can't live like this anymore. Sure, sure. Now, just take it. No, no, no. Listen to me. Two years ago, I killed a woman. Beautiful woman. I loved her more than I've ever loved anything or anyone in my life. When I tried to tell her how much I loved her, she, she laughed at me. I couldn't stand that laugh. I understand, Wilson. But that isn't exactly justification See, she and her son, uh, she was divorced, were working in this very carnival when I first saw her back in my hometown in Illinois. Yes. I fell in love. 
Oh, you can call me a rube, anything, but I was in love. I quit my job and followed the carnival for months. That's how much I loved her. And she laughed at me. So I shot her one night. And then I wanted to die, too. And when I saw her lying there at my feet, I, I wanted them to hang me, but they laughed at me. They laughed at the you? The law, the police, they didn't believe I'd done anything. They wouldn't let me give myself up. Where did you get this crazy idea, Wilson? It isn't a crazy idea. It's the truth. Look, lots of people get lots of funny ideas. They think about something they want to do. And they think about it so much that they, they really believe they've done it. It was real from the beginning. I killed her. I did. But there was no evidence against me. Listen, Wilson, you're not making sense. You listen. He destroyed every bit of evidence. So he could punish me himself. The police couldn't arrest or even suspect me. Who destroyed what evidence, Wilson? Her son, Oliver. Oliver? Yes, Mr. Harris. He's referring to me. A trick? No. Wilson was too upset to be tricking me. I wheeled at the sound of his voice, and there in the doorway stood Wilson's dummy, Oliver, a small but capable pistol in his hand. You are just as curious as Bernice said you were, Mr. Harris. Oliver. Bernice told me a lot about you. You had to know. And now you do. No, you're not... You shocked to learn I'm a midget. I must admit you gave me quite a start when you made yourself at home in the trailer this afternoon. But that was... That was me, Mr. Harris. Fortunately, I was already made up for the evening performance. Mr. Harris hasn't done anything, Oliver. Let him go. That depends on you. You see, Mr. Harris, Wilson is no ventriloquist. I guess that's obvious now. It is. Wilson murdered my mother, and I protected him from the police. But why? Why? So the law couldn't punish him. What satisfaction would there have been for me if they just hanged him? He'd been dead at an instant. Is that enough punishment for a man who has murdered your mother? No. He deserved more. And I've given it to him. I've punished Alexander Wilson for years. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Harris. He, he's held this over my head ever since. Sitting on my lap at every performance, reminding me, night and day, well, well, I've had as much as I can stand. So go ahead, Oliver. Shoot! Shoot! Oliver, be sensible. If you pull that trigger, they're here. They? Bernice and Arthur and everyone else? Bernice already knows, and... No, I don't care if the others do, too. For heaven's sake, shoot me. Get it over with. Shoot me, you monster. Shoot me. With horror frozen on his face, Wilson slid to the floor, dead. Then Oliver turned on me, the pupils of his eyes tiny with madness and his frail little body trembling. I'm afraid this is one act you can't book, Mr. Harris. Oliver. You wanted to know everything. Oliver, now wait, wait. I'm really sorry for your sake. He asked me to let you go, but... Under the circumstances. No. Not... I'm sorry, Mr. Harris. It flashed by my head and landed quivering in Oliver's chest. A long, gleaming knife blade. And there was Arthur in the doorway of the trailer with Bernice. His face like stone. Watching Oliver crumple the little distance to the floor. Slowly the faces of the others appeared in the doorway. Silent. The terror I was holding back was a physical pain. I walked to the door and stood looking down at the little body lying awkwardly like a dummy now. A lifeless thing. Unmoving. Staring. 
even with the traces of a painted smile grinning up at me. This couldn't have gone on any longer, I suppose. The police will come now, and at last there'll be an end to it. Go home, flesh peddler, and forget all about us. I went home, but I haven't forgotten, and I'm afraid I never will. Suspense. In which DeForest Kelly starred in William N. Robeson's production of Flesh Peddler, written by Robert Duran. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with Pigeon in the Cage, starring Lloyd Bridges. Another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Supporting Mr. Kelly and Flesh Peddler were D.J. Thompson, Gretchen Connie, Dawes Butler, Howard McNear, and Dick Beals. How are your brakes? Not the ones in your car. We're sure you keep those in tip-top working order. But how about your own brakes? Are they in working shape? When you're behind the wheel of your car and you feel that impulse to challenge the legal speed limit, can you stop that impulse on a dime? When a less courteous driver does something downright stupid that may inconvenience you, are you likely to do something twice as foolish just to show him he can't push you around? Or can you say halt to your anger before it leads to an accident? Students of human behavior have discovered that most of the accidents on our highways are the result of emotional immaturity. An adult can control his feelings and concentrate on his goal. Don't let childish attitudes keep you from reaching your destination. When other drivers and traffic regulations annoy you, use the brakes in your head as quickly as you would the ones on your car. Remember, accidents don't have to happen. America listens most to the CBS Radio Network. I always enjoy hearing someone in a radio program who I grew up watching on TV. Yeah, me too, Carl. And in this cast are a couple of other stars. Dick Beals from the Speedy Alka-Seltzer commercials and Howard McNear, Floyd the Barber, on The Andy Griffith Show. And and we can't forget Mr. Yogi Bear himself, Dawes Butler. DJ Thompson, one of the actresses in this episode, was in numerous radio programs, including Gunsmoke and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The other actress, Gretchen Connie, was currently a student at USC. I just love the deep-voiced Larry Thor as the narrator of Suspense. If you recall in the intro, Robeson mentioned a second newcomer to this episode. He was the script's author, Robert Juren. A member of the CBS Radio Transcription Department. I guess he heard so many performances that he decided to write one himself. Not only was Flesh Peddler the first script Juren wrote for Suspense, it was his first script ever for network radio. 
and others were shadow on the wall and the amateur. Uh, but there was nothing amateurish regarding suspense. They were all professionals, including CBS staff from various departments who would sometimes participate in shows. We know that William Spears' secretary, Peggy Rhea, was cast in a few episodes. She would go on to a fine career on stage and in television. We know her from the Dukes of Hazard and the Waltons. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer. And the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll bring you an unusual episode from another long-running mystery series, The Whistler. So don't miss it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>